You're listening to Threads Radio. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
the Renaissance has refracted through the ears of Per Norgard. That's Nova Genitura from 1975. Norgard, I guess, is probably the most famous Danish composer around today. Nova Genitura, meaning new birth, as you might have gathered, is a setting of the Catholic Ave Maria and came out of material originally used in his third symphony. Listening to this piece and thinking about it, I realized that one of the things I've really been looking for throughout researching this show is pieces that seem to be genuinely unique, weird even maybe, pieces that are not necessarily straightforward examples of an ism, pieces that somehow seem to exist in a world of one, and this for me is definitely one of those. It's a very strange mix of the approachable and austere now, on the one hand, it has a kind of sensuous, almost luscious quality, but on the other, it's tricky and even confounding. And it seems to beg the question as to whether the music is familiar or completely strange. Bits of it seem to be recognizable. We get familiar chords and so forth, but then we're wrong-footed and those parts are obscured by unexpected notes, notes which seem almost wrong in the context. And I think it's this combination of familiar and strange that makes this music difficult for me in ways that even supposedly complex pieces may not be. It's that continual uncertainty as to what language is actually being deployed. Norgard has said, I stand with one foot in Western rationalism and the other in Eastern mysticism, yet I feel both are alien to me. I am, so to speak, a kind of third point in the picture. So that was sung incredibly by the soprano, Bent Vist, accompanied by Marit Erst on recorder. Frederick Bock, Lute, Alan Rasmussen, harpsichord, Bodil Rohrbech on violin, and they were conducted by Kasper Schreiber, taken from the album called Sea Drift, released on Darkapo in 2000. <laughs>
Jan Bormann's Compositi 1972. Bormann is, I suppose, one of the key figures in Dutch tape music, though his work hasn't been particularly well known outside of the Netherlands. He cut his teeth at the original Philips Laboratory in Eindhoven in the 50s alongside Verres and so forth, but by the early 60s had set up a private studio along with Dick Rymakers, which eventually integrated along with the Institute of Sonology into the Royal Conservatory in The Hague, where I believe it still is. And Compositi 1972 was one of those pieces created there for which he gained exposure. 
It's heavily formalist. It's based on a strict division of time, according to the golden section, and is designed around a series of eight sound characteristics, progressing from noise to pure tone. So it's basically a serial composition rendered to timbre. But despite all that formalism, the sonic effect is pretty visceral with those heavily manipulated slabs of tape sound and stark contrast with the quiet passages throughout. The album is Composition 1972, Alchemy 1961, Desay, and that was released on Composer's Voice back in 1977.
the Missa Brevis from 1952 by Ton DeLeo. He's a one-time student of Messian and also an influential teacher of, among others, Brian Fernyhoe. Messian said of him that his music always remains diatonic in a static way that is very close to the type of oriental music which penetrates the listener and gets him into a semi-oniric state, the state of a waking dream. So the Missa Brevis or Brief Mass is an early work but one which seems to have made it into the canon of Dutch music. Uh, it's very Western, modally based, having a sort of neo-medievalism, I suppose, via composers such as Guillaume de Machaut, and very nice it is too. That's performed by the Quink Vocal Ensemble. The album is Invisible Cities, and that was released on Teloc Digital in 96. <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you. 
I just love the sound world of that piece. That's Georges Apergis and La Nuit en Tête, The Night in Mind from 2000. Uh, it's just wily, fiddly and delicate with genre bending or genre disruption as hints of jazz come into a modernist sound palette. Apergis says he sees music as a game of construction that reveals itself little by little like a Rubik's Cube. He's probably most well known for a series of playfully experimental pieces combining contemporary music and theater where the musicians themselves, the theatrical performers, is very unique and often very funny. They don't really work for radio, but quite a few of the videos can be found online, so they're well worth checking out. That's performed by Ensemble SIC, directed by Françoise Riveland. The album is Musique du Chambre, released on Zigzag in 2002. Thank you. 
movements from Johanna Bordwick Ropeman's Sonata for Violin and Piano from 1923. She was a self-taught composer fighting against her parents in order to pursue a career in music and also in the Second World War, a supporter of the artist's resistance, refusing to register with a culture camera, the system imposed to register and regulate the activities of Dutch intellectuals and artists who had to sign a declaration of Aryan ethnicity. And after the war, she was a member of the so-called Courts of Honor, established to purge the professions of collaborating colleagues. Compositionally, she was active through the middle of the 20th century and established a bit of a reputation for herself by the 1950s, but she seems to be viewed as being a bit uncategorizable within Dutch classical music, not really fitting into one school or other. This piece, for example, seems to have traits of French Impressionism, but never quite fully sounds like any of those composers either. I discovered it recently, though, and it just struck me. That was performed by Ursula Schoch on violin, with Marcel Worms on piano, and it's taken from the album From the Bottom of My Heart, the chamber music of Johanna Bordwick Ropeman, released on Zephyr in 2016. Thank you. 
here in circles from 2002 by Michel van der Aar. That's the middle movement of the here trilogy. And the theatrical idea of that piece seems to revolve around the singer's search for self-identity set against the good old-fashioned dichotomy of reality versus appearance. This is suggested by the actions of the soprano who operates a cassette recorder on which she records herself and the ensemble in real time and then plays it back during the performance, giving, I guess, a sense of tension between the live musical present and the past. It's a nice dramatic idea, but paradoxically, there's perhaps something in the fluency or ease with which van der Aar seems to write that for me almost flattens that tension a little bit. The two factors don't necessarily clash for me, but rather almost seem to have the effect of complementing each other. It's a great piece though, I think. There are some typical fingerprints of the Amsterdam School of Composers, the sound of the strings with no vibrato, and also the singer's minimal vibrato, giving a brilliant clarity to the sound. That was sung by Claren McFadden, the soprano, and performed by the Netherlands Radio Chamber Orchestra, conducted by Etienne Siebens. The album is the Here Trilogy, released on Disquiet in 2010.
Faust by Else Marie Pard from 1962. So she died just a couple of years ago and has the distinction of being the first Danish composer of electronic and concrete music and certainly the first in Denmark to show any interest at all in electronic music. She was often bedridden as a child due to illnesses and she said that these long periods of convalescence led to the development of a vivid musical imagination that was later realized through electronics. She was also active in the Danish resistance during World War II, distributing illegal newspapers and being a member of an all-female explosives group with the aim of sabotaging telephone cables in and around her hometown of Aarhus. Before being arrested by the Nazis at the age of 20, and being interned at the Froslev prison camp from 44 to the end of the war. And being isolated once again in prison with virtually nothing to do, she said she felt compelled by the need to make musical works from the little she could hear, devising a notational system on the prison walls and carving out notes with the metal buckle on her garters. Later, after the war, on hearing the music of Pierre Schaffer, she immediately identified with the possibilities of electronic music and travelled to Paris to meet and study with him. She then went on to create a series of works for which she is now starting to become more widely known, but she certainly went through almost all of her career in complete obscurity, even within Denmark. And it's funny, we're now starting to know about female electronic pioneers, such as Delia Derbyshire, Daphne Aram, Eliane Rodigue, and so forth. But Elsmary Pard is perhaps only now just starting to get the attention her music deserves. Anyhow, the Faust Suite which you heard movements of there, describing in five parts a downward journey from heaven through damnation into hell, is incredibly eerie and speaks, I think, of someone who has spent a great deal of time in isolation. It's intimate, but in an almost claustrophobic way and never really breaks out into a moment of release. It's music of almost pure tension then, in a sense, and almost all the more powerful for it. That's taken from the compilation Electronic Works, 1958 to 95, put out by Important Records in 2014. And now closing out this show, another resistance fighter of the 20th century, perhaps the most famous, this is Xenarchus.
I can think of pretty much no more visceral orchestral piece than that. That's Shah from 1983 by Ioannis Xenakis. So the 60 strings in that piece that you heard perform as one giant machine and it contains some of those signature Xenakis features, the massed glissandi, the chord clusters, obsessive motoric rhythms, and those tetrachords, kind of four note melodic motifs, which I guess are signatures of Greek music. Um, the whole thing just has a hair raising, almost euphorically terrifying ritualistic feeling to it, which is just exhilarating. And whilst I can have problems with quite a few of Xenakis's pieces on a formal level, if not on a sonic or a technical one. They just seem to progress too randomly often. This piece with its almost brutally discrete alternation of events somehow seems to work. And for my money, it just has one of the best orchestral endings of all time. That's performed by the Orchestre Philharmonique de Luxembourg, conducted by Arturo Tomeo. The album is Orchestral Works Volume 2, and that was released on Timpani in 2001. That's it for another episode of The Tonic. Thanks to everyone at Threads for hosting, and I'll be back on Wednesday, 8th of May. Thanks for listening.